Today, Stephen is going to talk about contrarian investing. Now, if you know what that is, you're one up on me. So we will find out with Dr. Graham Shaw, who will join us a little bit later on, contrarian investing. We're also going to take a look at the market, our market update with Henry Jennings, and we'll see what's happening with currencies and commodities and anything else from the world of finance. It's Thursday Finance and Stephen Pritchard joining us today. Today for Thursday Finance. Well, yeah, what's happening with the gold package, Stephen Pritchard? The gold package, all that gold jewelry you wear, Jay. Um, it's down $117 an ounce. So it's down to $2,640 an ounce. So the gold price in $8 was down a bit on the week. Did uh, I hear you say down? Down. <laughs> down. down. Okay, down. back under the bed it goes. Back under the bed. Yep. Um, um, and of course, Investing in jewellery isn't really an investment because there's all the GST and the manufacturing costs and that. So if you really want to invest in gold, you nearly need to buy. Um, you really need to buy bullion. Um, and Brent crude uh, oil it was up thirty three cents a barrel. So that's neither here nor there. Uh, the Australian dollar was uh, seventy two point three eight. So, so it's up marginally on the US dollar last week. The Great British Pound was 54.76 uh, pence and the euro was uh, 61.15. So, euro cents. So the Australian currency is strengthened against the major countries, uh, currencies around the world again. Is that actually good for the country? Because that presumably makes our exports, any exports, dearer to buyers, does it? Yeah, it makes exports dearer and the imports cheaper. Yeah, so we can import more cheaply, but we can't make take advantage of it travelling anyway, can we? Well, there still seems to be some people, a small number of people travelling. I don't know how they're managing to do it, but I didn't think there were very many planes. <laughs> well, there must be some planes because Sydney's still allowing four hundred and fifty people a day, in which is yeah, that's a and lot. The, and the cap- the other capitals are allowing a few hundred in, so there's still yeah, a few still thousand people. people a day coming into Australia. So there must be some. Hmm. I think Qatar was still flying. Uh, anyhow, uh, I've got no plans to fly anywhere. Um, uh, not even to another we? capital. Even. <laughs> I don't, I, I, is Newcastle, there's probably just some regional flights going out of Newcastle. Probably. Probably regional New South Wales. Yeah. 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 So you can't fly to Melbourne, you can't fly to Brisbane. So. Nope. Uh, nope. And the All Ordinaries uh, was up 22.8 on the week to 6,294. The S&P 500 was up 93.2 to 3,478. And the, U- yeah. the uh, U- UK index was up. No. <laughs> uh, someone's got the lines mixed up here. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. So, so the UK... The, right. the UK index was 6,045.6, up 32.3. So that's right. Um, some local stocks yes. or stocks local investors tend to like. Um, BHP was down 70 cents to $38.02. Um, CBA was down 61 to 69.65. And NIB was down 20 cents to $4.65. And poor old Telstra's back below the uh, $3 to $2.96. Um, which was down seven cents on the week. Um, uh, the unleaded fuel price: um, one dollar eleven in Newcastle, a dollar ten in Sydney. Uh, the diesel price: a dollar twenty-one a litre in 
Newcastle, dollar sixteen a litre in Sydney. Mm-hmm. So it's still down there, isn't it? The it's still price. down there. Mm. It needs to stay down there. Two and URFM's Thursday Finance and Stephen Pritchard. Time to take a in-depth look at the market with Henry Jennings from Marcus today. Hi, Henry. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm good. And uh, good. I, I was reading the uh, financial review this morning. And oh, yeah. I noticed your crystal ball has worked again. Oh, has uh, it? Yes, yes. You, you predicted Flexi Group would change its name to Hum. I did. And they're going to do I it. I did. I'm hoping they're going to send me a case of beer for the suggestion. But um, it's it's a sign that they're stepping in the right direction, I guess. And, uh, and they're going to raise it $140 million. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Um, yes. That's good. And they're doing it in such a way that is kind of a bit fairer and more equitable to retail shareholders rather than the usual uh, placement and then small SPB where you get scaled back. This mm-hmm. is a, uh, a pro-rata entitlement issue at uh, $1.14. So uh, shareholders are going to be able to uh, share, hopefully, in any success they get out of the buy now, pay later sector, uh, which they are now fully embracing and changing their name trying to sell off the commercial and leasing division, okay. which, um, which they, they tried to do last year, and they reckoned uh, it was valued around $280 million. They wanted 300 but uh, I think times have changed a little bit, so I reckon if they've got 250 that would be a pretty good result for them. But mm, um, uh, so. we'll, wait, we'll wait and see. But um, certainly one of the cheapest exposed companies to buy now, pay later, if they could only become cool and trendy, and now with them called Hum, maybe that will happen. They'll be humming along. They will be humming along. There's tons of plenty with this one. Yes, yes, and uh, not, not, not much joy for the shareholders of Whitehaven Coal, though. No. No dividend, no. profit down by 90% or something, or more than 90%. Yeah. Yep. I guess, um, you know, the, the problems they've got are, are twofold. One is that coal is becoming... Um, a little bit um, avoided by a lot of institutions now through uh, that uh, environmental social governance platforms that many are adopting, so that doesn't help their cause. But the biggest factor, of course, is the coal price, which has definitely been very weak. And unlike the iron ore price, which is one of our our biggest exports to China, coal pricing has not been as robust as we've seen with iron ore. And unfortunately for Whitehaven, it really has taken its toll. So a killer combo of falling out of favour with instos and falling out of profits on the coal price really has not uh, helped this one. And they're all under pressure. Coronado as well is under pressure too, and uh, New Hope as well. So especially thermal coal has been uh, part of the issue as power stations across the world are looking to uh, transition, I guess, to uh, to cleaner energy sources. Mm. So coke and coal's holding up a bit better. Coking coal is holding up a bit better. We've even got BHP at the moment. They're trying to uh, to get rid of their, uh, well, sort of scale back their coal exposure. So there's many a company around the world that is uh, looking at coal and saying, well, that's a dirty fuel. We want to uh, embrace gas or, or whatever in the future. So not helping Whitehaven at all. Mm. And speaking of gas, APA Group's profit was up slightly. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a nice, expensive business, isn't it, really, that they're never going to shoot the lights out, but you, you know, these are gas pipelines going around Australia. So as a defensive company, it does offer those qualities. You're not going to get spectacular growth 
they've had one or two issues which look as if they're heading towards some sort of resolution, which is positive. But, uh, you know, when you compare it to some of the growth stocks and the, and the almighty U.S. market, which has just been going nuts, and, mm-hmm. and some of our stocks have been following in their wake, um, this is this is one for the more conservative investors looking for that defensive uh, exposure to to what is a very um, solid business, I guess. And uh, yeah, and and regular kind of distributions in there. As yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of re- regulated, as you pardon the pun, with gas. Yes. Two on your IFM's Thursday finance, and we're in the middle of our market update with Henry Jennings, and I suppose it's sort of the middle of the reporting season at the moment for companies as well. Yes, over the middle. Uh, um, probably got hopefully a over soon. Over soon, Stephen. <laughs> are you over? over soon. You're over that too, over Henry. It, are but you? it's been extended this year, so a lot of the late people will be a month later. Um, oh, don't, don't! I've had enough. Please had enough. We've all had enough. There's too many to keep up with. But anyhow, you can't. It's impossible. It's just numbers after a while. It just gets so hard. Yeah. Let, let me Very in difficult. on you. Let me let you in on a secret, Henry. It's all numbers. It's all numbers. <laughs> Well, it is, but it's also about narrative. Stocks move on stories and yes. hope and optimism, but uh, it just gets so confusing this time of year. You get 20 companies, big companies, drop in a day like today, Super Thursday, another Super Thursday. It just gets uh, ridiculous, I have to say. Mm. Yes, and then Adelaide Brighton came out with it, or Ad Bryce, it's not called. Uh, yeah, great name change, that one. Yeah, waste of money. Great <laughs> waste yeah. of money. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, $29.1 million um, compared to a loss of 17.9. Yeah. Which is reasonably good, yeah. and it's going back to paying a dividend. Yeah, well, you know what? It's it's funny, isn't it? There's, there's been some winners and some losers in COVID. Mm-hmm. In the US, for instance, the US home building industry is going absolutely bananas mm-hmm. at the moment. That's despite lumber prices up being 80% this year. So but there is a lot of interest in this, and, of course, you've seen that. Uh, Kerry Stokes take a 16, 17% stake in Borrell as well, trying to get in on the act. So there is activity out there. And I guess, you know, as we've seen with people that can't spend on uh, those expensive overseas holidays or cruises or whatever, they're choosing to uh, upgrade their homes, mm-hmm. uh, c- cocoon. Um, I was speaking to a guy yesterday that was going to go to Tonga, and instead he's got all his money back from Qantas and is now um, doing a big house renovation instead. So. It's um, yeah, it's funny. So Ad Bry, um, what a great change that is! That's made all the difference. Yes. Um, but yes, dividends hard to come by in this uh, this market at the moment. So good to see these guys actually paying one. There's there's plenty that aren't this year. Yes, and then of course Afterpay. It's all about growth. Oh. And it's all about growth there. It's, it's a phenomenon, isn't it? It's yes. an absolute phenomenon. Who would believe this company is worth $25 billion? Yes. Um, it, it is extraordinary. It really is. It was $8 back in uh, March, mm. 8 or 9 bucks. it got down to. Um, it's now knocking on the door of 100 bucks, mm-hmm. um, And that's got a certain sort of uh, ring to it. Yes. But it, it may be a magnetic quality towards 100 bucks as people try and get it up there. Um, but, um, you know, some, some good results today. But yet again, you know, it's profit is hard to find. They're reinvesting back in the business. They're also pushing into Europe now, of course. Uh, they're looking at, uh, they've done an acquisition in Europe, and they're going to take on what is the uh, one of the big guns, I guess, a Swedish private company, Klarna, 
which has been in Europe for some time. So there's plenty of competition around in those markets. Maybe not so much in the US, but certainly UK and Europe has been uh, mm. a, a, a fertile ground for, um, for buy now, pay later and derivatives for some time. So it's not without risks, but at the moment, the market is just massively in love with the whole sector. And uh, you can see the leverage in the numbers today in terms of their earnings doubling to 44.4 million, uh, which they did telegraph. So the story continues, but it, it does divide investors. Some believe it's all going to end in tears, while others believe that it's all going to end with champers. Oh, well, time will tell, Henry. Time will it tell. Will indeed, it and, will indeed. And uh, uh, Blackmore's the profits down there from 53 to 18 million. Yeah, Blackmore's has been a bit of a, a sorry tale for shareholders, unfortunately. The only the only good thing about being a Black, Blackmore shareholder, I think, is the, uh, the shareholders' discount on the products. But certainly, you know, the, the golden days of Christine Holgate seem to be well and truly in their past. Mm-hmm. And uh, they do have a lot of work to do there. They're cutting the workforce. They're cutting costs. Um, and, of course, couple that with the uh, issues that Australia has with China in their uh, somewhat frosty relations at the moment. It's hard to get really excited about Blackmores at the moment, I must admit. So, yeah, it's, it's one that uh, we're not really looking at, I must say, at the moment. Yeah. Plenty of work to do there. Need, needs to get a, a shot of vitamin C. Yes, yes, yes. Well, they're selling plenty of that at the moment, I understand. So, yeah, so we, they probably would be. Yes, so we might um, wrap it up and talk to you again next week, Henry. Thanks, Stephen. Have a great week. Thanks, Henry. And you too. Bye, Henry Jennings from Marcus today with our in-depth look at the market, our market update on Thursday finance. Interesting topic coming our way now, Stephen Pritchard. We're going to talk about contrarian investing. Yes, so Graham's been involved in investing for a long time, so I thought I'd just ask him, um, what is the most important lesson you would give someone starting out in investing? Thanks, Stephen, and thanks for having me on, on your program. I, I'm sure many of your listeners have probably been in a situation, maybe they've been at a barbecue, and a mate's come up and sort of said, geez, I found this amazing company, it's products selling like hotcakes, you just have to get invested. And so the temptation is, I think, to sort of rush out, phone your broker, and, and buy some. But I guess when you do it, you sort of make two quite closely related mistakes. The first is it's important for people to recognize that, that share prices don't move based on outcomes, which is a little confusing because, you know, you look at the newspaper, business newspapers are just full of outcomes. You know, this is what happened to this company in the last three months and so on. But actually, the thing that moves share prices is the difference between the outcomes and what people expected those outcomes to be. So, for example, a company that grows its profits by, say, 25%, which would be a great result for most companies, won't outperform the market if everyone expected it to grow by 25%. So you can only do well if you beat expectations. I think the sort of second mistake you make when you do that is that for you to outperform the market, it's important that the person who sells you those shares makes the mistake of selling them to you too cheaply. So, you know, so in this example, you know, if your mate knows that this company's prospects are fantastic, the people that already own the shares probably also know that as well, and so they're only going to sell them to you at a really high price, and um, it's pretty hard to generate a great return when you pay a really high price for something. So for me, probably the most important lesson when you're starting out is to recognize that for you to do better than the market, 
the person that sells to you must make a mistake and sell it to you too cheaply. <laughs> when you think about it, that's very logical, isn't it? Very logical. So, so the Orbis, which is the company you kind of uh, work for, is describes itself as a, a contrarian manager. So, what, what's actually a contrarian manager? Yeah, so, so a, a contrarian is someone who sort of does the opposite of most people. And so we try to spend our research time on those parts of the market that, that are out of favour with other investors because when things are out of favour, that's when other people are, are more likely to sell you those assets at a price that's a big discount to what they're really worth. And so sometimes that can be companies where a one-off event has caused investors to become scared. Sometimes a company might have disappointed investors for a number of years in a row and people become a bit fed up with it and a bit angry with the management. And I guess when other investors sort of let fear or anger sort of drive their decision making, there's a good chance they'll make a mistake and sell you those shares too cheaply. You know, people like to deal with their problems and it's like, oh, you know, this company, it's caused me pain for five years. I really just hate it. I hate the management. I want to deal with that problem. I know, I'll deal with it by selling it. And, you know, the price they sell it for is not the number one consideration when they're dealing with that problem. They just want to get out of it. And so if you focus your time sort of in those parts of the market, you'll be able to find individual opportunities that, uh, that may be, um, uh, you know, real bargains. Yeah, can you, can you, is it possible to give, a, give some examples on some of these things? Yeah, I mean, uh, sort of the one I'm, I, I'm most <laughs> fond of is that, I think 10 years ago, Toyota had a problem that they politely called pedal entrapment, which meant that the accelerator pedal got stuck and their cars wouldn't stop, which is kind of a bit of a problem problem. for a car. (laughs) That's right. And they had to recall 6 million cars, and, you know, investors panicked over this. It was a very big recall. They were worried what it meant for the company. Um, But Toyota has a long history, and car companies regularly have recalls, and, uh, you know, what you find when you look back at history is that, you know, three or four years after the recall, everyone's forgotten about it and the brand goes back to its normal mm-hmm. positioning in the a pecking order. So that let us buy, you know, what is arguably the world's best car maker at a really attractive price. Uh, another one that was sort of more, you know, a bit dramatic was um, when Steve Jobs passed away at Apple and everyone was worrying, geez, how, how is Apple going to cope without someone so visionary as, as, as Steve Jobs was? Um, but if you looked at the business, it was very early on in the iPhone rollout. Um, it, it had really just gone to one mobile phone network in the U.S. It hadn't gone near China yet. And, the, and people were willing to sell us that great company at only 10 times earnings simply because Steve was no longer with the business. So uh, those would be two historical examples. I guess the more recent one was we bought a company called Comcast, which is a U.S. company. And they're the dominant supplier of broadband services to homes and businesses. Um, people were willing to sell us that stock on only 12 times earnings because the broadband business is only two-thirds of, of what Comcast owns. The other one-third is in Universal Studios, uh, Universal Pictures, and the NBC um, free-to-air TV channel in the U.S. And those businesses are all suffering at the moment. Universal Studios... Uh, is suffering because no one's going to theme parks at the moment. Universal Pictures has a problem because the normal movie release schedule where you, you know, you go to cinemas first and then work your way down to the streaming services is, has been upset because the cinemas are all shut. And then NBC is suffering because advertising revenue typically goes down in a recession. Um, but 
the, the nice thing about Comcast is that broadband network that you know was always a, a great asset is probably even more valuable now in a world where even after the pandemic we're probably likely to have people working from home more often than they used to. And so upgrading your Comcast service to the you know the, the more expensive, more reliable one is probably something a lot of people have done. They're unlikely to uh, stop doing that after the pandemic um, disappears, uh, and you pay 12 times earnings simply because, you know, some of its businesses aren't doing well. And we're pretty confident that in the long run, people will go back to theme parks because, you know, people like going on rides, they like watching movies, and they like watching TV, and those things are probably not going to change. So so this value investing, uh, sorry, contrarian investing sounds very similar to value investing. So what, what's kind of the difference between the, the two of these? Yeah, so, so I mean, a, a classic value investor likes to buy stocks where its price-to-earnings ratio is quite low or the price-to-the-value of the company's net assets is low. Uh, And we like to do those things too. Um, But, um, you know, there are other sort of companies that can get cheap. Uh, So, for example, um, companies where things are, you know, things are going hard enough for them that their earnings are, are, are very low or zero or sometimes even negative, they're making losses. Um, can still be cheap companies if, if you're confident that they will eventually recover. Uh, and then net assets don't isn't always a, a good measure of the value of a business. For example, if you take a mine that discovered a great deposit, you know, 25, 30 years ago, the value of, of that deposit on, on its books won't reflect its true economic value. Uh, if you're a technology company that's just made a great big breakthrough again, you know, the net asset value of that new technology won't always be reflected on your balance sheet. And so relying just on low PE and just on price to book sort of limits you to a, a, a smaller subset of, of the cheap companies. And I guess we, we'd prefer a, a more expanded set, um, and including very old companies or, 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 or technology companies as well. Right, that's interesting. So we might um, come back in a minute and talk a bit more about value investment and what what its problems have been over the last 12 years. Excellent. Now, it sounds to me as though you don't need your crystal ball at all. You're looking Mm. at people and how they think, and I suppose that works for so much in this world. Thursday Finance, where we're taking a look today at contrarian investing. Stephen Pritchard, we're speaking with Dr. Graham Shaw. So value investing kind of hasn't worked for the last um, 12 years or so. Do you think it will ever work again? Yeah, Stephen, you're right. It hasn't worked for the last 12 years. Um, But it's interesting if you look back a bit further than the recent past. So uh, if you take the US stock market, which is, I guess, the most studied market in the world, value investing has beaten growth investing from 1926 all the way through to 2007. Mm-hmm. So that's 80 years of outperformance. Um, but but you're right, growth investing has worked better for the last 12 years. And, and I think some people have started to wonder, you know, is 12 years long enough that maybe this means growth investing might continue to win forever from here? Um, I, I guess I'm, I'm quite sceptical about that. Um, I, I guess for two reasons. Um, I think the main reason value investing has worked in the past is that 
people are willing to sell you value shares at a discount to their true value because they get disappointed with those companies. Um, whereas on the whole, you know, most most people who own growth stocks, I mean, Tesla would be a great example, and it's such an exciting company. It's got a great product. Um, uh, you know, they're only willing to sell you those shares at very, very high prices, and those high prices tend to, you know, reduce the, the returns you get. Um, so I don't think human behavior has changed. And actually, if you look at sort of some of the reasons people sort of quote for saying, oh, maybe growth investing might win this time, I mean, one of the classics is they sort of say, well, you know, technology is evolving faster today, and the growth companies have more of the newer technologies, so surely they, they're going to do better. Um, now, I'm skeptical about that for for a few reasons. I think the first is that, you know, it's well known as human beings. We uh, we tend to overestimate our own abilities. So 80% of drivers, when asked, will insist that they're better than average, when obviously only 50% can, can actually be better than average. Uh, I, I guess my favorite study is one they did in a hospital where there were a group of patients admitted because they'd all been involved in serious car accidents. Two-thirds of those patients had caused those accidents, and yet when they were surveyed, they all insisted they were better than average drivers. Yes. So, so we, we do overestimate uh, our, our abilities. And, and I guess when I, you know, when you look at technology today, it feels like it's evolving faster, but it's hard for us to really remember what was it like 30 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. And, and, and I guess I would argue that... Um, you know, the invention of things like refrigeration, the telephone, air transport, silicon chips, fiber optics, lasers, satellites, have probably been a little bit more important than the invention of things like uh, Twitter and Facebook and Uber Eats. Yep. Um, so so I, I don't really buy the technologies evolving faster argument. It's also not visible in the data. So one measure of techno technological growth is the rate of GDP per capita growth, i.e., you know, how fast are we growing the economy per person? Um, and if technology is growing faster, then GDP per capita growth should also grow faster. And yet when you look at the data in the U.S., it's actually growing slower uh, than it has in the past. So, mm -hmm. so that one doesn't stack up. Um, I, sorry. That's right. I, I, I think possibly what has happened is that falling interest rates has encouraged people to look for growth and pay ever higher prices for that growth. The problem with that is that if you look at the prices of growth shares relative to value shares today, the valuation gap is historically huge, whereas in 2007, it was really quite low. So 2007 was a really good time to own growth shares. Uh, 2020 looks like a really bad time to own growth shares, and, and I think... Imagining that that trend from 2007 to 2020 is going to continue forever it is definitely not consistent with what's happened historically. So what do you think the current investment outlook's looking like? I mean, what, what big opportunities do you see out there now? Yeah, so it's, it's quite a funny environment um, because um, the stock market has recovered pretty much. I mean, the U.S. market's recovered pretty much to where it was before the pandemic, um, but the outlook for the economy is clearly much worse now than it was um, at the end of 2019. Um, and, and, and it's interesting to sort of think, well, why has the market recovered that quickly? Do people expect the economy to snap back really quickly? And I think when you read the commentary from a whole wide range of, of market participants, I don't think many people expect the economy to, to snap back quickly. And so the question is, well, why has the stock market recovered so much? Uh, I guess my personal view is uh, it, it's, um, it's 
related to people's fear about what might happen to the money supply. There's a really nice photo um, in a Federal Reserve paper on the money supply of a toilet in southern Africa, and the sign basically says, use toilet paper only, no paper, no cardboard, no cloth, no Zimbabwean dollars. Um, And, and, uh, you know, the problem with abusing your money supply is eventually you make money worthless. And we've seen governments all over the world use central banks to create money out of thin air, give it to the government to spend, and mostly those governments have have handed it on to people in the form of support payments like JobSeeker and JobKeeper Mm -hmm. here in Australia, and the people have gone and spent it. But, you know, if you do that, you do... Uh, you know, undermine people's confidence in money as a store of value. And so they start looking for other places they can put that money to protect their value. And the, the most obvious places are the stock market, um, precious metals, property, or, or more esoteric things like Bitcoin, uh, which is also... All of those things have done pretty well um, in the last few months as people have rushed into stocks or precious metals. So both gold and silver are up. Bitcoin's up a lot as well. Uh, so, so, so that's a little concerning because you sort of look at the, the level of the market and you go, okay, it looks quite high compared to what earnings might be. And you could get worried about that. I think there is some comfort you can gain, though, because the market has recovered in quite a narrow way. There's a small share, maybe sort of 15 to 20% of the market that's done really well. Um, there's at least 20% of stocks that are still very, very far below their peak I, I... in that. Yeah, okay. We've just got to um, finish up. We're We're running out of time. Running out of time, and it's so interesting. It's great to have had you with us, Graham. Thanks, Graham. No worries uh, at all. Dr. Graham Shaw and Contrarian Investing. And there'll be more from Thursday Finance. I hope there'll be more from Graham sometime soon, too. Next Thursday, after the midday news, on to NURFM.